This is section 123 of Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain, section 123, The Galaxy, December 1870, part 1. The Galaxy, December 1870. Memoranda by Mark Twain. An entertaining article. I take the following paragraph from an article in the Boston Advertiser. An English Critic on Mark Twain Perhaps the most successful flights of the humor of Mark Twain have been descriptions of the persons who did not appreciate his humor at all. We have become familiar with the Californians who were thrilled with terror by his burlesque of a newspaper reporter's way of telling a story, and we have heard of the Pennsylvania clergyman who sadly returned his innocence abroad to the book agent with the remark that, the man who could shed tears over the tomb of Adam must be an idiot. But Mark Twain may now add a much more glorious instance to his string of trophies. The Saturday Review, in its number of October 8th, reviews his book of travels, which has been republished in England, and reviews it seriously. We can imagine the delight of the humorist in reading this tribute to his power, and indeed it is so amusing in itself that he can hardly do better than reproduce the article in full in his next monthly memoranda. Publishing the above paragraph thus gives me a sort of authority for reproducing the Saturday Review's article in full in these pages. I dearly wanted to do it, for I cannot write anything half so delicious myself. If I had a cast-iron dog that could read this English criticism and preserve his austerity, I would drive him off the doorstep. Editor Memoranda From the London Saturday Review Review of New Books The Innocents Abroad A Book of Travels by Mark Twain London, Houghton, Publisher, 1870 Lord Macaulay died too soon. We never felt this so deeply as when we finished the last chapter of the above-named extravagant work. Macaulay died too soon for none but he could mete out complete and comprehensive justice to the insolence, the impertinence, the presumption, the mendacity, and, above all, the majestic ignorance of this author. To say that The Innocents Abroad is a curious book would be to use the faintest language, would be to speak of the Matterhorn as a neat elevation, or of Niagara as being nice or pretty." curious is too tame a word wherewith to describe the imposing insanity of this work. There is no word that is large enough or long enough. Let us, therefore, photograph a passing glimpse of book and author, and trust the rest to the reader. Let the cultivated English student of human nature picture to himself this Mark Twain as a person capable of doing the following described things, and not only doing them, but with incredible innocence, printing them calmly and tranquilly in a book. For instance, he states that he entered a hairdresser's in Paris to get shaved, and the first rake the barber gave with his razor, it loosened his hide and lifted him out of the chair. This is unquestionably exaggerated. In Florence he was so annoyed by beggars that he pretends to have seized and eaten one in a frantic spirit of revenge. There is, of course, no truth in this. He gives at full length a theatrical program, seventeen or eighteen hundred years old, which he professes to have found in the ruins of the Colosseum, among the dirt and mold and rubbish. 
it is a sufficient comment upon this statement to remark that even a cast-iron program would not have lasted so long under such circumstances in greece he plainly betrays both fright and flight upon one occasion but with frozen effrontery puts the latter in this falsely tame form we sidled towards the piraeus sidled indeed he does not hesitate to intimate that at ephesus when his mule strayed from the proper course he got down took him under his arm carried him to the road again pointed him right remounted and went to sleep contentedly till it was time to restore the beast to the path once more he states that a growing youth among his ship's passengers was in the constant habit of appeasing his hunger with soap and oakum between meals in palestine he tells of ants that came eleven miles to spend the summer in the desert and brought their provisions with them yet he shows by his description of the country that the feat was an impossibility he mentions as if it were the most commonplace of matters that he cut a moslem in two in broad daylight in jerusalem with godfrey de bouillon's sword and would have shed more blood if he had had a graveyard of his own these statements are unworthy a moment's attention mr twain or any other foreigner who did such a thing in jerusalem would be mobbed and would infallibly lose his life but why go on why repeat more of his audacious and exasperating falsehoods let us close fittingly with this one he affirms that in the mosque of st sophia at constantinople i got my feet so stuck up with a complication of gums slime and general impurity that i wore out more than two thousand pair of boot-jacks getting my boots off that night and even then some christian hide peeled off with them it is monstrous such statements are simply lies there is no other name for them will the reader longer marvel at the brutal ignorance that pervades the american nation when we tell him that we are informed upon perfectly good authority that this extravagant compilation of falsehoods this exhaustive mine of stupendous lies this innocence abroad has actually been adopted by the schools and colleges of several of the states as a textbook but if his falsehoods are distressing his innocence and his ignorance are enough to make one burn the book and despise the author in one place he was so appalled at the sudden spectacle of a murdered man unveiled by the moonlight that he jumped out of the window going through sash and all and then remarks with the most childlike simplicity that he was not scared but was considerably agitated it puts us out of patience to note that the simpleton is densely unconscious that lucretia borgia ever existed off the stage he is vulgarly ignorant of all foreign languages but is frank enough to criticize the italians use of their own tongue he says they spell the name of their great painter vinci but pronounce it vinci and then adds with a naivete possible only to helpless ignorance foreigners all spell better than they pronounce in another place he commits the bald absurdity of putting the phrase ternuns into an italian's mouth in rome he unhesitatingly believes the legend that st philip neri's heart was so inflamed with divine love that it burst his ribs believes it wholly because an author with a learned list of university degrees strung after his name endorses it otherwise says this gentle idiot 
I should have felt curiosity to know what Philip had for dinner. Our author makes a long, fatiguing journey to the Grotto del Cane, on purpose to test its poisoning powers on a dog, got elaborately ready for the experiment, and then discovered that he had no dog. A wiser person would have kept such a thing discreetly to himself. But with this harmless creature everything comes out. He hurts his foot in a rut two thousand years old in exhumed Pompeii, and presently, when staring at one of the cinder-like corpses unearthed in the next square, conceives the idea that maybe it is the remains of the ancient street commissioner, and straightway his horror softens down to a sort of chirpy contentment with the condition of things. In Damascus he visits the well of Ananias, three thousand years old, and is as surprised and delighted as a child to find that the water is as pure and fresh as if the well had been dug yesterday. In the Holy Land he gags desperately at the hard Arabic and Hebrew biblical names, and finally concludes to call them Baldwinsville, Williamsburg, and so on, for convenience of spelling. We have thus spoken freely of this man's stupefying simplicity and innocence, but we cannot deal similarly with his colossal ignorance. We do not know where to begin, and if we knew where to begin, we certainly would not know where to leave off. We will give one specimen, and one only. He did not know, until he got to Rome, that Michael Angelo was dead, and then, instead of crawling away and hiding his shameful ignorance somewhere, he proceeds to express a pious, grateful sort of satisfaction that he is gone, and out of his troubles. No, the reader may seek out the author's exhibition of his uncultivation for himself. The book is absolutely dangerous, considering the magnitude and variety of its misstatements, and the convincing confidence with which they are made, and yet it is a textbook in the schools of America. The poor blunderer mouses among the sublime creations of the old masters, trying to acquire the elegant proficiency in art-knowledge, which he has a groping sort of comprehension is a proper thing for the travelled man to be able to display. But what is the manner of his study, and what is the progress he achieves? To what extent does he familiarize himself with the great pictures of Italy, and what degree of appreciation does he arrive at? Read. When we see a monk going about with a lion and looking up into heaven, we know that that is St. Mark. When we see a monk with a book and a pen looking tranquilly up to heaven, trying to think of a word, we know that that is St. Matthew. When we see a monk sitting on a rock looking tranquilly up to heaven, with a human skull beside him, and without other baggage, we know that that is St. Jerome because we know that he always went flying light in the matter of baggage. When we see other monks looking tranquilly up to heaven, but having no trademark, we always ask who those parties are. We do this because we humbly wish to learn. He then enumerates the thousands and thousands of copies of these several pictures which he has seen, and adds with accustomed simplicity that he feels encouraged to believe that when he has seen some more of each, and had a larger experience, he will eventually begin to take an absorbing interest in them. The vulgar boor! That we have shown this to be a remarkable book, we think no one will deny. That it is a pernicious book to place in the hands of the confiding and uninformed, we think we have also shown. 
that the book is a deliberate and wicked creation of a diseased mind is apparent upon every page having placed our judgment thus upon record let us close with what charity we can by marking that even in this volume there is some good to be found for whenever the author talks of his own country and lets europe alone he never fails to make himself interesting and not only interesting but instructive no one can read without benefit his occasional chapters and paragraphs about life in the gold and silver mines of california and nevada about the indians of the plains and deserts of the west and their cannibalism about the raising of vegetables in kegs of gunpowder by the aid of two or three teaspoonfuls of guano about the moving of small farms from place to place at night in wheelbarrows to avoid taxes and about a sort of cows and mules in the humboldt mines that climb down chimneys and disturb the people at night these matters are not only new but are well worth knowing note yes i calculated they were pretty new i invented them myself mark twain it is a pity the author did not put in more of the same kind his book is well written and is exceedingly entertaining and so it just barely escaped being quite valuable also end of section 123